that comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 26 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in The Rambler, I will be hosting Bill Riddle. The mentality of of what he shared with me was like, look, look just go out there and just try it, you know, and, and don't say no to any opportunity. And so I've always kind of had that mindset of, you know what, what's the worst thing that can happen with an opportunity? Mm-hmm. You know, if it goes bad, then so be it. You learn something. So for me, I've always tried to, to go down that path of, you know, just try it out. It was great hearing Bill's story and how tennis has had such a huge impact on his life. Bill shares about the passion of tennis and how he has impacted many people throughout the years. He loves coaching and speaking about tennis. Regardless if you are a tennis fan or not, Bill's story can cover all sports. The musical guest today will be Carmen Brandy. A little more about Bill and his tennis career. Bill Riddle has been the director of tennis for the Bluegrass Yacht and Country Club for the last 21 years and a USPTA elite professional and tester with over 29 years of experience coaching, teaching, promoting, and playing tennis internationally. Bill is recognized as a high-performance tennis specialist by the PTR, USPTA, and USTA. He's no stranger to entertainment and tennis promotion. He created and co-hosted the award-winning weekly radio show called Tennis Talk that aired on WLAC out of Nashville. He serves as the director of tennis for the Bluegrass Yacht and Country Club in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and now also oversees new tennis program at Temple Hills Country Club. For the last 21 years, he has directed the tennis program at BYCC Coaching and teaching all levels of players. During this time, Bluegrass has been recognized as the Top 50 Tennis Welcome Center in the nation and was awarded the Professional Tennis Registry Facility of the Year for Tennessee and the USPTA Tennessee Tennis Facility of the Year in 2013. Bill has been heavily involved with the Music City Tennis Invitational as well, and he'll share more about that in the interview. So tennis has uh, been a big part of his life. Now, the nonprofit of the month will be Community Care Fellowship. A good friend of mine, Ryan Lasseur, is the executive director. He will join me next week to share some more details on how they are making an impact on Nashville. But for now, I'll read the mission and a little bit about what they do. The mission of Community Care Fellowship is to serve Christ by providing families and individuals who are at risk of chronic homelessness and poverty with hope, love, and resources so that they may experience physical, emotional, and spiritual transformation. Community Care Fellowship carries out this mission on two fronts. They serve as a daytime shelter for the homeless, providing hot meals, warm showers, laundry hygiene, facilities, pastoral counseling, and social services referrals. They also serve the children from the nearby James Casey homes with after-school and summer programs offering tutoring, mentoring, and a safe place to spend the day. 
I recently went to a benefit um, they were hosting and uh, got to hear some pretty awesome stories about the impact that they're making in people's lives throughout Nashville. So make sure to, uh, to check them out. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Bill. Hello, Nashville. Today, I'm hanging out at the Percy Priest Dam on a, uh, a little chilly day. Video-wise, actually, we might could get a little of the dam in the background. I, I, I thought maybe they might be actually running the water. Yeah, that would have been so cool. Right. It would have. Yeah. Except I was, I can't like get there with the camper, but right. maybe some other time. Anyways, I'm sitting here with Bill Riddle. Hello, Bill. Thank you for joining me. How's it going? Great to be here. <laughs> it's going well. Um, so, Bill, as mentioned in the intro, um, he knows a little bit about tennis. 29 years, or is it even more now? 30 now. This 30. is number 30. All right. Um, so, I was like, he knows tennis, and when I say knows, um, I count there as anything he does not know about tennis. <laughs> count there. Yeah, I said that right. Yeah, so he's coach and... Um, again, you heard the bio. Bill, again, thanks for joining me. Um, in a minute or two, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Pretty much tennis every day, uh, eight days a week. And when I'm not doing that, I, I dabble in a little tennis on the side. No, but seriously, I, I, I think I might have the, one of the best jobs in the world because I, I do get to, I get to teach tennis. I get to coach players, uh, that are playing tournaments and, and competitive tennis and, uh, uh, I get to spend time around a country club with recreational players, you know, teaching new people how to how to play the game, uh, you know, beginners to the game. Get to travel, uh, doing a lot more traveling these last few years, speaking at conferences and coaches conventions and whatnot, pretty much worldwide. Probably just got just got back from Jamaica, yeah, right? Dylan? Literally, just last night got back from Jamaica. That had to be torture, right? It, it was. I'm <laughs> working on my golden tan here in the middle of the winter. People hate me for that. Yeah, so it's been it's been a, a big year, and um, actually, I hit the road again. Come January first, okay, headed to Australia. So nice. How yeah. long how long are you there? I'm there uh, for about two two or three weeks. Okay, um, wow. So I'm speaking at uh, they have uh, middle of the summer down there, so at you know peak tennis time for for the Aussies, and uh, both of the tours will shift and start the year down mm-hmm. there. So I'm in Brisbane, Sydney, and in Melbourne for sure. So. Yeah, that's kind of cool thinking of seasonal, you know, that you can go here or there in different temperatures, so you kind of could stay busy year-round, right? You, pretty much you can. You, you go go south or go real far south, way down mm-hmm. under, and catch uh, catch summertime. Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah. All right, well, we will uh, dive into uh, a little bit of your story. All right, so uh, tell me about your childhood years. Are there some great memories that come to mind? And how did your family begin to shape you in your earlier years? Wow. Um, you know, early on, uh, it was funny. I was actually talking to my mom on, on the drive over here because I hadn't seen her. And she was, you know, wishing me a happy birthday, which was a few days ago. And, and so uh, we were just talking about, you know, work and jobs and stuff like that. And, and you know, they, they, uh, they, they instilled a solid work ethic early on. Um, you know, you go out and you, you work for what you get and you work hard at it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the night, the sun goes down, you, you know, you lay your head, head on the pillow and get up and go do it the next day. And it's always kind of just been with me and, um, maybe too much sometimes because I have trouble sometimes turning it off, but 
But, you know, I, I don't know that I'd want it any other way. Very happy that that's the direction that they went. And um, got lucky. I, I uh, had a car accident uh, right out of high school and was... Well, that's uh, some great luck. Well, it, it, it actually, yeah. it really was. It was... I know you're going. I was, right. was going to do something different with my life. And the car accident put me uh, on a path to, to tennis, uh, back into tennis and, and full-time tennis and playing and teaching and coaching and I, I think my life would have been different had I not had that car accident um, but because of it I literally have traveled the world um, because of the sport of tennis wow so uh, it's ironic because a podcast I'm publishing today his story basically a car accident changed his life like so what about it how did it change it as a senior year like what what so uh, you know my, my thought was uh you know i wanted to play football past high school i wanted to be in art school i wanted to you know i had kind of an idea of planned of what i wanted to do and um i you know when i when i had the car accident you know i spent time in the in the in a neck brace and they said you know you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that and so during the rehab period i i found myself back out on the court hitting tennis balls just trying to figure out what am i going to do mm-hmm. um at 18 and um i got lucky enough to work a little bit part-time at a local tennis club and the pro there left after about a month or so and uh said hey uh, i'm going to another club you can stay here and i thought oh, okay well what am i going to do now and um while i was there they said hey uh why don't you keep an eye on things till we hire a, a, a new pro I was like, well, okay, I can. I figure I can do that. Mm-hmm. I wind up running that club for for five years. Uh, they never found somebody, I guess, uh, that could do what I was doing, or right. I, I'm not sure. But uh, once again, lucky enough to be in the right place, and I guess I think the the tennis gods were smiling down right. down on me. So, well, like you said, the work ethic I'm sure came into play there. You know, you got the opportunity and you work hard. So really, there's probably not a need to. <laughs> Find a replacement, right? Yeah, well, I think a little bit of luck, but also, yeah, I, I do believe it. You know, you, you put put forth the effort, right. and uh, uh, I just can't see myself now not doing tennis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so what age did you first pick up a tennis racket, and what drew you to that sport? You know, I, I've thought about this several times, and and it, um, you know, getting to travel like I, I do, I, a couple of things have kind of, you know flashbacks of of childhood and i remember laying on the floor in the living room watching the 1979 you know wimbledon championships um and just thinking man how cool that would be and and i grew up in a little farm in town out you know mount juliet back in the old days 30 something years ago or, or longer was a little farm in town and you know i think we had maybe three or four tennis courts in the entire county in, in wilson county and mm-hmm it was just a different time, a different place. And I thought, man, that would just be so cool to be able to play tennis. So, you know, we played all sports back in the old days. You played everything, um, baseball, football, basketball. I got an old wooden Jack Kramer racket that my dad had used and played a little bit of tennis. I mean, he wasn't a tennis player, but he had an old racket and I would take that racket and hit tennis balls against the side of the house. And behind us was, uh, or I'm sorry, to the side of us was like a tobacco field across the street with a, you know, bean field and uh, literally in the country. And, mm-hmm. and what uh, age were you? Uh, seven. Okay. Seven, seven, eight years old. Just thought, man, if I could ever play this. And, you know, you didn't take lessons back then. Nobody could afford lessons and mm-hmm. you didn't do it in the country. But 
just kind of always played at tennis and always just kind of had this love of it and mm-hmm. interest. But it wasn't cool. You know, it wasn't cool to be a tennis player back in, in Mount Juliet back in the 80s, you know. Um, but I was lucky enough to kind of just kind of hung around and played every other sport. And it kind of came back into my life um, after the car accident. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I think that's a, a good point. Don't let a sport determine which direction you're going based on is it cool or not you know i mean back in um my high school we had no football but we had we had baseball uh, no we had tennis like we heard right. any sports like the little town you know just the school i was in el dorado had more stuff but um even band it was like if you did band yeah, you were kind of a nerd yeah like and you move to music city and i'm like oh man i wish <laughs> i knew some instrument just you know not from a professional standpoint, but just to play something, just, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting how there are, there's so much out there to play, sports-wise. Oh, you know, anything, gymnastics, there's so much to do, yet, you know, there's so many pigeonholes because it's cool or it's a sport to do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's uh, actually... <laughs> so, actually, speaking of that, I didn't even realize this question was in this order. So, what advice would you give to parents that pressure their kids into certain sports could be based on cool. Um, How do you let them explore all sports when you might have a bias as a parent towards a particular one? Well, it's, it's interesting because you know, you you always hear about those crazy tennis parents, right? And, and, but I'm a firm believer that there are crazy parents in every sport. You know, my, my kids, uh, both played soccer and baseball and multiple sports. And, and I'm, I'm also a believer in just building a, an athlete first. Uh, so I wanted my kids to just play sports and enjoy it and, and learn from it, learn to be a good teammate, learn to learn to be responsible and mm-hmm. listen to coaches. And, and so, cause that's, that's kind of the upbringing that I had. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I saw and, and try to translate into what I'm doing nowadays. And, I think that, you know, parents have to understand that, that what may work have worked for them or the sport that was, you know, cool or, or they played maybe doesn't work. Um, but let the kids explore, you know, mm-hmm. early on. And, and I see college athletes nowadays and you, you look at some of these studies and they're, they're really good athletes played multiple sports. They played multiple sports for a period of time. They didn't become specialists at 10 years mm-hmm. old and, mm-hmm. Way too often, that's what we see nowadays, which we didn't see back probably when when you and I were right. kids. You know, you you played every season. You you played multiple sports and and you enjoyed it. And there wasn't a travel every you name it. Starting at seven years old, kids didn't you know have to travel. They were just playing to play. Um, What's your thoughts on that? Having all that is that a good thing, bad thing, or just I, I see more bad than I see good. And, and and I and I'm I'm on the tennis court six seven days a week uh, every week every month every year and and uh, I see the the horror stories of it and I understand where they're coming from and I understand the money that is now at the collegiate level and the professional levels and you know the reality is that your chances of getting there are just so slim you better off just go buy a lottery ticket you know. I think we could change the culture if we would give kids a chance to just play for fun a little bit longer. Um, and it, and it, it really, it's not the kids. I mean, the, the, the troubles that I find is with the parents. Mm-hmm. They're competing with 
the parents down the street or their idea of what they should do. And a lot of times the parents are just uninformed, mm-hmm. uh, misguided, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. Well, and I think there's just that natural instinct to keep up with the Joneses. And it's in, in anything. It could be right. money. It could be house. It could be sports. And having three boys, you know, I didn't grow up in a sports family. My dad didn't play anything. I didn't watch anything. Right. Um, I played basketball, a little bit of baseball, but I never practiced. So I was never good, you know, enough to do anything. And then I started working probably at 14 at my mom's store. So I wasn't ever in it. So even with the boys, there's that struggle of like, I don't want to do what so many are doing. I won't say everybody. Um, and we've did basketball like twice and then we didn't for two years. And now Bryce wants to do hockey and um, Graham's in basketball, but it takes a lot to practice too for them to actually be good. Cause then even when they do, it's like, you know, Bryce's team, his coach is great. He's, he's a good balance between, you know, teaching them and some seriousness, you know, but you got two kids that are on the team that are really good. And, so you sit and watch and you're like, man, I got to practice with, I got to right. practice with Graham because, you know, it's like, he's not that aggressive. But then, you know, then of course two days go by and you forget about the game and you're right. like, whatever, go ride your bike, you know? <laughs> go but it's just, it's finding that balance of like, he's eight, you know, and just, the, yeah, just the balance of the pressure of feeling like, oh my gosh, he's, he's got to do something. But then I'm like, no, he doesn't. Let him be a kid. Let, I let just rode by. You know, yeah. so it's but then like you at seven, you just had this desire and passion to want to hit the court or hit the ball. So I don't know. I think and I have some friends, their little boy. I mean, he's obsessed with baseball. And right. I know the parents. I don't think that they would they were like trying to force or anything. He just and I, I look at that kid and I think I bet he's going to be something in baseball. You know, so I'm sure there's that God given passion at a young age. But I rambled. But it's just kind of that whole balance, you know. Because yeah. I, I was in the age of where we didn't have the travel. So finding it, you know, where do you, how do you find it to where you're not keeping up with the Joneses, but you give them that freedom. And as we mentioned earlier, you said your daughter's like, hey, I want to take a break. Right. Like, how do you deal with that right. when they're in it so long and then they go, eh, I want out. It's it's not easy. Uh, when, when they decide, hey, we're, you know, I'm done playing tennis or baseball or whatever the, the sport is, you know, the parents – feel like, oh, well, that's part of our, our life is gone. Uh, and, and, and it is a little bit, but there again, too, it's, you know, we, we kind of looked at it like this was our family time. We cho- chose to be at the soccer field or the baseball field or the football field and tennis courts. And, you know, I mean, didn't put too much pressure on it. Just that's what we did instead of going camping, you know, mm-hmm. or, or to the theme park. That's what, that's what we did. That was our source of fun. And, um, you know, we we were fortunate to just kind of keep it a little bit light because I saw all the the other sides of it. So um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when your daughter said that, you were just like, all right. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, when my daughter said, "Hey, I think I want to take a break," I I, I I found myself curled up in the corner of the the closet for probably two days. Um, but uh, and it, it was tough, you know, because I I knew that she was she she enjoyed playing tennis, but she wasn't as passionate about doing it, you know, longer or more uh, as I was. And I had to just kind of do a little self-reflection say, Hey, you know, don't become one of those idiot parents that you see all the time. And, uh, luckily I, you know, that, 
I got through it after right. some therapy. Right. <laughs> no, just kidding. You got you got lonely in the closet, <laughs> and you're like, all right, I gotta go talk well, to somebody. Well, right? My wife said, okay, you can come out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. No, but it it was good though. Well, yeah, because I mean, even when you think about the, like you said, as much as you invested into that, and then to go, all right, you know, I'm done. To be able to let go and be like, all right, okay. You know, she that's was, a wise she was good with it. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? If she's good with it, then I should be good with it. Yeah. So yeah. if you could take a few people that have had a big impact on your life to front row seats at Wimbledon, who would they be and why? You know, th- this is going to sound odd, but I and, and I actually had a chance to say hi to the, an old football coach of mine, uh, Coach Hemantoler in Mount Juliet. He, he was our uh, uh, middle school uh middle school and high school football coach. And I didn't realize this, you know, early on when I was playing football and spent a lot of time with this, this man, just some of the lessons he taught me and, you know, just about working hard on the, on the field and, you know, sacrificing and being a good teammate and, you know, just the way he went about being a coach. I've been, even though it was football and I'm in the tennis business, Mm -hmm. I've employed a lot of that in what I do. And, you know, I would definitely take, take that man to anywhere he wanted to go just because um, it is amazing what he kind of shared mm-hmm. and what I was able to hold on to all this time later. Gosh, I have to think on that. Uh, um, there's been a few other, there's a couple of coaches in, in the tennis world that have been influential uh, to me early on. Uh, tennis is, is one of those sports where it's, you know, it's can be a little clickish, can be a little, uh, a little uh, uppity sometimes and you know me not coming from a traditional country club tennis lesson background playing you know division one college tennis you know kind of fit into a different mold but there's a pro reedy tony who's up in knoxville uh, outside of knoxville up in the east tennessee area just a good guy that early on you know he was just so open and welcoming and helped i mean i was this young guy who asked a lot of probably stupid questions and he was just always giving of his time and um he's still coaching tennis right now he's out of the the game full time but he was actually i think our high school coach of the year in tennessee he uh, still coaches some high school tennis up in that area probably definitely him mm-hmm. um th- those two guys would be top top of the list so so i imagine just having that upbringing like you said from mountain julia gives you a whole different perspective throughout your coaching career in not, you know, the typical country club feel or making people feel more welcome, you know, that don't fit that mold, right? Yeah, I, you know, I kind of look at it um, because I've been on the other side of that track and, you know, I get to see both sides of it. Um, You know, I have to keep one foot in each side sometimes. and, And the reality is, you know, everybody's just trying to, you know, make it and trying to, you know, get through life the best they can and, you know, one of the things you just don't know sometimes is what somebody's story is, you know, where exactly. they come from and, and and what they've got going on in their life. And I feel like that there's such good things. Can, I mean, I'm, I'm an example of it. I mean, things can really good things can happen mm-hmm. to, to you if you work hard. And, and tennis has done that for me. Uh, so if I can help some others, you know, find that same joy. And it's amazing where where a little yellow tennis ball will take you. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah, that's pretty just cool. Country. Just follow it around, right? Just, fo- just, just follow it around, just wherever it goes. Well, so the question I have next was, uh, has tennis always been a passion, which I think I can answer that as yes. Yeah. Um, 
what even you, when it wasn't a passion, it, it really was. Right. I didn't I didn't realize it, but it was. It was still always there. You just kind of yeah. tried to run from it a little bit. Well, but. I I thought, gosh, if I could ever, because we you know couldn't really afford to. I thought if I could ever do this, this would be really really mm-hmm. cool. And lucky enough, I got got a chance to do it. So what with that? What do you love about the game? And you know, being in it thirty years, do you ever get bored with it and have to reinvent yourself to keep the excitement going? Um, you know. One of the things that I, I, I saw early on um, with some tennis coaches, uh, especially those that were at, like a, at a club, they would they would teach you know teach lessons 30, 40, 50 hours a week, and you know I heard these guys that were like ah oh, they're just kind of bitter and grumbly, and um, you know I thought you know I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that after thirty years of teaching tennis they want to do something else, um, because to me I I don't. I don't want to retire. I want to do this as long as I possibly can, can. Um, and so I made a choice not to, not to just teach all the time and worry about the money more about, okay, well, what kind of impact am I making? Can I, can I continue to do this for many more years? Maybe teach less hours during the week um, and kind of diversify what, I do, and it's it's worked out because I've I've had a chance to, you know, to work in different aspects of the tennis industry. I, I spent a few years working for uh, World Team Tennis, and you know, got to to meet and get to know Billie Jean King. And you know, if I'd have just been teaching all the time, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. I've had a chance to run a professional tournament, and you know, travel and speak and do coach education. So for me, it's more about diversifying what I do i'm i wouldn't be a a specialist necessarily but uh other than i guess maybe a specialist in promoting tennis that's Mm -hmm. if if that was a uh you know uh, something real then that maybe that's what i am i don't know but but i'm definitely definitely try to find a way to keep it different right mix it up a little right well yeah just thinking of your whole you know everything you've done So did you did doors just keep opening because you your work ethic that you gave so much to it that people you were just kind of recognized and that just opened up more doors or did you like pursue say well you've always done coaching right to some degree so yeah. did you pursue more like hey you know what I want to be a speaker or it just happened to happen one day and then now you know many years later it's just the opportunities just kept presenting themselves I kind of I kind of go back to what you know um i I remember my dad saying this one time he he was he worked for the for lnn railroad here in nashville for a long time and you know he he was skilled at doing other things and i remember he he was i think he was laid off for a little period of time from the from the railroad i think it was one of those times that a boxcar fell over and you know crushed something so he was laid off for a month and and so he started driving a truck and and he didn't really know how to drive a 18 wheeler but mm-hmm. he just said i can do it you know and so that was the mentality of of what he shared with me it was like look just go out there and just try it you know and mm-hmm. and don't say no to any opportunity and so i've always kind of had that mindset of you know what what's the worst thing that can happen with an opportunity mm-hmm. you know if it goes bad then so be it you learn something so for me i've always tried to to go down that path of you know, just try it out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I go back to watching some of these other coaches who, who became very bitter with the sport. I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to do that. So I've got to find a way to do something different. And, 
and truly just a love for all the little components of of the sport um, is what's kept me going. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I love I love that, and I think I think having that mindset because um, I think I've had the mindset just like me doing this, right? You know, I I, I didn't YouTube it; I right. just did it. Thankfully, I have you know a mind that can kind of piece it together. But even like stepping out and jumping to real estate, it was like, you know what? If it doesn't make it, guess what? I've done so much more more things throughout other works. Like, I'll try it. Like, I can find a job. Right. And I think that I think that gives you a freedom to per, pursue different stuff within your industry. Because if it fails, oh well, I can go back to this or that. Oh, you know, else. it just yeah. gives a piece of of stepping forward and not you know fearing what what'll happen. I mean, I, that's why I've tinkered with so much stuff. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were thinking about doing something. And whatever they were going to work on, like, it was already broke. Right. So, like, how, I mean, you can't make it any worse. It's broke. <laughs> it's broke. I mean, you can sometimes. Right, yeah. But, but it's just like, just try it, you know? Like, uh, I, I feel like I'm definitely a glass is half full. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. It's, I'm trying to always look for, like, how can we make this work? There's, you know, we got one step. Uh, headed the right direction let's see if we can get two or three steps and mm-hmm. i don't know maybe that's uh the right way wrong way i'm not sure it's just it's the way i do it so. it's not a wrong way for sure yeah maybe not everybody's way it's right? not everybody's way all right so uh, a pause in the story yeah shout out to your favorite restaurant and favorite nonprofit, and why Ooh, favorite restaurant uh that's a good question I do like to get out and eat a little bit. You don't get this this husky physique <laughs> by skipping a meal, right? Right. Um, I have to come back to that. Well, my favorite nonprofit would be one of the events that I, I've been fortunate enough to work on for a number of years. The Music City Tennis Invitational is probably, I think it is, the longest running music tennis and music event in the country mm-hmm. um it's actually been around for 46 years wow uh so so next year we're working on the 46th annual music city tennis invitational and it's it's a tennis tournament that that came out of uh a handful of people here in the, in in nashville back in 1973 and they they wanted to get their buddies who were singers songwriters you know music industry people together and play tennis and raise a little bit of money. They did the very first tournament over at Seven Hills Swim and Tennis Club. Uh, and I think I think if we look back at the history, they maybe raised a couple thousand bucks, you know. And um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like a who's who list of people that have been involved with it, from uh, old um, quarterback for the Bears and, and Vanderbilt legend Bill Wade. Um, Minnie Pearl was involved. Um, gosh, Kenny Rogers. You name it. Uh, in the early days, um, Francis Preston, who, who helped kind of found it, and Patsy Bradley, who's been around for all forty six years, and it's just a great group of people that has run this tennis tournament uh, year after year, and we've raised, I think, a little over two and two million dollars mm-hmm. in those in that time span. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved the last twenty twenty five years now. Okay, and. Um, Right now, we're we're working with the T.J. Martell Foundation, and so the money we raise from our tournament goes into their cancer research and funding, and 
for many years, we donated the money to the Child Development Center at the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. We wanted to kind of get back to our country music and our music roots and partnered back up with TJ Martell. And we're just trying to get to, to 50 now. We want to we wanna get this tournament to 50 years and mm-hmm. um, continue to raise money and, and just promote tennis and, and also grow what we do for our community. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the uh, what's the what does it look like the um, when y'all have the program? So, so the we, we do I mean a, the invitational. The, so that we do a, a tennis tournament every year, and typically it's in in the springtime. This in 2019, it'll be um, the weekend of like Ju- uh, June 15th. Okay, um, sorry, it's first time we've ever done it in the summertime, but we moved it to uh, right after uh, the CMA Fest. It's going to be after the. The big event down in, uh, what is it, Tullahoma? What, yeah. what is that called? Bonnaroo. Bonnaroo. There we go. I'm the only person in Nashville that's not in the music business, that knows nothing about the music business, right? Um, well, I, I don't either. Okay. I mean, it's, two of it's so fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> I listen to music a lot, but I know nothing about it. But, uh, yeah, so we've got the 46th uh, uh, annual event coming up in June of next year, and we do a weekend tennis tournament, and it's basically for anybody who can – if you can – if you can walk and chew gum, or if you've got a pulse, uh, we can find a, a place to put you mm. in the tournament. Uh, now, we have players that are former college and former professional, and we've got it all. But we do a fun weekend of just play tennis, eat some food, listen to some music. Um, we have a great kickoff party at BMI. Who's, BMI has been so incredibly good to us for so many years um, as a supporter, a sponsor, and hosting our kickoff party and you know it's just uh it's not like any other tennis tournament you're going to find mm-hmm. anywhere in the country um because it's just like a big family reunion of people and and incorporate some great music with it right we do i mean we we've gosh we've had everybody you can think of get involved with us i mean one year we had billy ray cyrus drop by on saturday night for the player party and just played a few songs and you know james slater is kind of led the charge for us for many years. He's a avid, a really good tennis player, um, singer songwriter here in, in Nashville and kind of a legend in the songwriting community. And we've just had so many really good people involved mm-hmm. with it. And, uh, it, you know, we're I, not called the volunteer state for nothing, right? I mean, no. reality is, it's true. Um, no. so back to the mu- restaurant, you got restaurant. a favorite restaurant? Oh gosh. Uh, Oh, I'm kind of boring. I'm, I might just go to Demas's and okay. get, get some spaghetti and, you know. No steak? No, I try, I try to okay. stay away from the okay. red meat okay. sometimes. All right. All right, so uh, what are some moments in your journey that knocked you off your feet? How did you get back up and learn from that experience? Uh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I think uh, a couple times, you know, getting you know either rejected for a job or i tried for for many years early on in my career i thought gosh i want to work for the usta and and which is the you know the national tennis uh federation for us here in the states and interviewed probably like four or five times all over the country and thought gosh and it it was always kind of like a finalist come in second come in third and it just never happened, and I thought, well, it's maybe it's meant to be, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to, maybe I need to stay on the court doing what I'm doing, and um, you know, I think I think getting to go through those experiences of this is really what I want, what I think I should do, 
uh, and that not happening uh, really kind of helped me, I think, uh, to see that, um, you know, there's maybe other aspects of, of the tennis industry that I need to maybe spend time with or, or, or work in and working for the, the, you know, the National Federation wasn't necessarily the end all be all. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So sometimes life is like standing on a tennis court with a ball machine <laughs> on full speed and people all around you yelling, hey, over here. How do you keep the distractions out of your life and keep your focus on what is important? You know what I uh, I'm uh, as you saw when I when I came into the trailer here I I go everywhere with my clipboard or my my notepad uh, I'm still a paper and pencil paper and pen kind of a guy every morning uh, I wake up and I write down what I got to do and I cross it off and it's one of those lessons I learned early on and if I don't have a list and you know if you talk to anyone who knows me uh, family uh, friends uh, I've always got a notepad and I'm writing down wh- where am I supposed to be what am I supposed to be doing what have I got to get done and you know I it's, it's how I get through um, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to I've tried several times to convert over to you know to the phone right. or go digital and put my calendar there and I just I just can't do it I, I have to feel the paper and I have to write it down because usually somewhere along the the path I've got some kind of crazy idea that I got to jot down as well and, and work out. Mm-hmm. And maybe that comes from that, that early uh, artist in me, you know, cause growing up I was always drawing and painting and doodling. Mm-hmm. And I think I continue that now through, through what I do, you know, day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> so yeah, I've tried a little bit of everything and I've recently have started waking up. I bought this massive planner. Uh, it's called, the daily planner, Michael Hyatt. Okay. Um, like him and his team put it together really detailed. Like it incorporates all that. And like, I think I'm filling it out about a quarter of the usage that I can be, but I'm, I'm slowly getting there because it is, it's like waking up in the morning, writing it down, checking it off. Except the only problem is I'm having to look at the next day and go, all right, let's, so let's transfer that to this day. Okay. Let's transfer it to this day. <laughs> at one point I got to check it off. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, you hear about all these these successful people, and, and right. I started to notice this trend. And most of them, you know, they would get up and they just have a blank piece of paper, mm-hmm. and they would just put down information on that, whether it be to do or thoughts or whatever. Uh, and whether they keep it or not was irrelevant. It was can you get it down on paper and can you work with that? And so that's that's about yeah. the only system that I've found that works for me. So yeah. I think that's why a lot more people, because I went to a, a, a little weekend conference and yeah, the success stories that you heard through that, just the simplicity of writing it down, getting away from obviously the electronic distraction, right. You know? So, uh, I yeah. think there's something powerful with a blank piece of paper. It's mm-hmm. just, I can go anywhere with that. Yeah. Yeah. So let me see where I can go with it. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, all right, and so you kind of alluded to this, obviously through the through the nonprofit, but even within tennis and coaching, you know, how do you feel that you're making the impact with uh, those around you? Well, you know, I I, I do spend a, a good bit of time um, working with coach education. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to to work on some different committees and different organizations to help educate coaches. Um, that was one of the things early on. I there wasn't a lot for me, and so I would just kind of like show up at places and listen, and I would I would go to other clubs and watch other coaches teach and make notes myself, and I just kind of wanted to do what I could to just figure out how to be better at this whole craft. 
And um, so for me, I'm, you know, spend a lot of time working on how to help other coaches, younger coaches, older coaches, anybody um, become better at this, um, you know, sharing ideas, learning whatever we can do. So mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time doing that. And, and that's, I guess if I had to say I had a passion, a passion for coach education or coach development would probably be at the top of that list. Cause if I feel like if I can help one coach be a better coach, then mm-hmm. that one person is going to help many other players. Um, I mean, I can go teach a lesson and, and help one player in mm-hmm. an hour, but maybe if I go help a coach become better, then they can go back and in, influence right. hundreds or right. thousands of players. Yep. I love that. So. Yeah. I was uh, reading a book, book um, Bob Goff, Love Does for Kids. Have you ever heard of Bob Goff? Uh-uh. Love Does? No. Great book. Um, But it talked about his coach, like he played baseball and he wasn't that good. And apparently he would usually take take a ball and walk, you know. But one one day he decided that he was going to hit it. And so he closed his eyes, hit it, opened it, hit a home run. And he talked about the impact of his coach. A few days later, he got a letter card in shape of an apple and it said you know titled you're the apple of my and then the coach said you know you're a real baseball player and just you know two sentences and the impact that that made as a coach because he trusted him and respected him and um you know and obviously many years later he's writing a book and that comes to mind about what it makes an impact so yeah i love you know any kind of coach tennis coach um life coach right just that impact that you can have, you know, with the words. And that was the highlight of me. And that's kind of something that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tweak, you know, sarcasm or, you know, kind of think before I speak right. and how you're impacting your kids, you know, like the positive or the negative, how are you doing that? And it's sometimes overwhelming. You, yeah. Sometimes but, you don't realize just what kind of an impact you have and how you say it and, and the way you say it or when you say it. Um, yep. Yep. Or what not to say sometimes mm-hmm. um, is is almost as important. Yeah, yeah. As what you are saying. So yeah, I I love you know like you said the you're you're teaching somebody that can have a, big, a whole domino you know the residual of how you're impacting one person right what it can make so that's pretty awesome. Now, have you always been comfortable in front of a mic in front of crowds and coaching? Um, were there fears that you had to push through? If so, uh, what advice would you give to people wanting to pursue something, pursue something different, um, but fear is holding them back? Well, you know, early on, I, I would not want to be in front of a crowd. Uh, I can think back as a kid and, you know, uh, probably would have never jumped, uh, in front of a microphone. Uh, I can remember taking a, um, public speaking class at MTSU when I was in college and just being terrified to even sign up for the class on the chance that I would have to stand in front of the, the group. And I, and I don't know what it was because I, I, I kind of started teaching and, and, and helping to coach about that same time in college. And, and I don't know, I, I just kind of started to feel very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now what I try to do uh, is, you know, there's a there's a lot of good coaches out there that with a lot of good information, and but they're incredibly boring at the way they present it. And so what I've tried to to do the last maybe ten years is is find a way to be a bit more entertaining from a tennis standpoint because 
you know, tennis is one of those sports. I mean, there's so many other things that people can be doing with their time and, and tennis is like other sports, it's declining in Mm -hmm. numbers and, and popularity. And, and I think to some extent we need people who are a bit more entertaining to get, get you excited about the sport. And so for me, that's what I've tried to do, especially the last five or 10 years. Hopefully, hopefully I'm making an impact that, that way, but Mm -hmm. I definitely did not, grow up wanting to be in front of a mic but but now i'd rather be i'd rather be in front of a mic or on a stage than probably anywhere mm. um i don't know why i just the passion and the impact you're making i would imagine I, I if just, i can answer for you yeah, maybe so maybe i i just i feel like if i if i have an opportunity to to share then then maybe i can make something good happen so speaking of tennis um, if you had to, you know, listeners out there that don't give it a whole lot of thought because it, you don't have the Pete Sampras and the Andre Agassi out there. Cause I remember in high school and even I think the intro in college, cause I was looking at some of their tournaments, you know, where I was like excited about it. Right. You know? So, um, with people listening, you know, what would you say to them about tennis to kind of get them excited to say, Hey, you know, give your kid a shot at it, you know, or yourself, you know? Well, you know, it, there, there's only a couple of sports. I mean, tennis and, and golf that are their true lifetime sports. And I see, I see golfers and I see tennis players that are playing up into their 60s, 70s, 80s uh, all the time. Um, you can't do that with with a, with football or baseball or basketball. Um, but I, I would I would encourage them to let the kids try tennis. Um, it's a great family sport. Um, I we have lost some of the the role models that are out there that the John McEnroe's or I don't know I don't know if anybody would call John McEnroe a role model but they would call him entertaining for mm-hmm. sure but um but I think we've lost some of those icons and uh but there's also so many other sports I mean right. I think back to when I was a kid there was just skateboarding was kind of like that fringe thing yeah that's but it true. wasn't it wasn't money in it you just you were kind of a rebel and you skateboarded. Well, now you're making money at 15 skating professionally. And I mean, now there's drone races and they really? fill, they That's fill, funny. I didn't they fill know that. stadiums for, for kids mm. to actually play like these video games. So you buy a ticket to go to a stadium to watch somebody else play a video game, which I would have never thought would have happened, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Not playing Super Mario. Yeah. You can, can save the princess, the <laughs> fastest. Donkey Kong. I fill a stadium with Donkey Kong. People, yeah. But, but no, there's just so much that's pulling at people's time. Right. And so many other, I don't, they're not fringe sports. They're, they're mainstream sports nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, maybe football is becoming fringe for kids because, you know, you're worried about getting con- 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 concussion or, uh, you know, uh, you don't have the time to travel. You know, yeah, there's so many things pulling at people's time that that maybe they just need, you know, to try a few different things. And mm-hmm. But I would get I would definitely encourage parents to let their kids try tennis, mm-hmm. um, but also try it in the right environment. You know, find the right coach um, that is interested in you just playing for fun, mm-hmm. you know, and just let it build from there. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I'm sitting there thinking like, I love, I took racquetball in college. Right. Love it. 
And of course, I'm one that's running all around like crazy at full workout. Right. But I'm like, if I was really good, I'd just be sitting in the back, just killing it. Too, right. Too. Which that kind of gets boring to me sometimes, you know, unless I get behind, then I'm like serving it and I'm left handed. So I'm going to drop it in the back and, you know, and, and until I get ahead. But, but yeah, I'm like, I need to, I need to go, uh, go out on the court with Mickey and play a little tennis because I never got, balls. like, I, I think I told you, I never got good at like, the overhand, I could never get it down or, you know, to serve, but I also didn't play. It's all about the lot. right coach. Yeah. Well, now what's taken off is this game called pickleball. I've heard of that. So, yeah. so it's a wiffle ball with a, with a small, hard paddle, and you play on a very small court. I mean, it's just, it's been around for a number of years, but it's really exploding now. Mm, really? And, and people talk about how easy it is. And basically, it's, it's not that easy. It, you don't have to cover as much ground. Right. Kind of like racquetball. It's, yeah, it's a very small version. I mean, we could probably play pickleball inside this camper. Really? Right That's how tight it is. But um, but it is, you know, it's kind of sweeping the nation. And hmm. um, if if nothing else, it's getting people active. Right. Uh, maybe extending. Maybe they can't play tennis, but they can play pickleball or pop tennis or some of the other, you know, fringe sports. But just getting out there and staying active would be the big thing. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So what advice would you give your younger self in regards to parenting, marriage, business, just life in general? Oh, gosh. Uh, be a better listener. Um, What'd you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that would be the, the top. Uh, listen more, talk less. Um, I mean, you still may choose to, you know, do it your way or say something or whatever, but, but just listen more and, and talk less. Uh, it's amazing how many, how many people have opinions and how opinionated I was, you know, the first probably 20 years in the business. And, but you know, I guess that's, you, you, you live and you learn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So if at the, probably at the end of every day, if you looked and just put yourself on a chart, where did I land? Okay. Tomorrow I need to listen more, Yeah, you know? Yep. Good advice. It's an easy one, I think. So from the great words of Paul and Timothy 4-7, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. When your journey's over, what legacy are you hoping to leave? One that I really loved the sport of tennis and that I tried to share it with as many people anywhere and everywhere on this planet that I could. Um, I, the, the sport changed my life. It gave me so much and if i can give back just a little bit of that you know with this little yellow tennis ball then um hopefully that i've done some good then so good legacy good passion all right so that's the end of those questions okay (laughs) now um i'm gonna dive into just for a national i'm calling it the the national real estate minute or a few right um so how long have you lived in nashville Pretty much all my life. Um, moved away for a while uh, when I was running a club up in North Carolina back mid nineties. But but I'd say out of the forty nine years I've been here for forty five of them. Okay. So. And what made you choose to stay in Asheville? You know, it's funny. I growing up, you know, when you grow up in a small town like Mount Juliet was back then, uh, there was nothing. Providence did not exist. That mm-hmm. was a big giant field where I used to hunt. I thought, gosh, I just, I want to get out of this town. It's this little, I hated country music, and I just want to get away. And as soon as I got a chance to get away, I was like, 
gosh, I really want to get back. That was kind of a cool little town, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you realize that there's a lot of cool people there. And um, I think now the whole world knows how cool Nashville is and right. how cool the people are. And now everybody wants to be here. But uh, that's that's the one thing you, you don't realize sometimes yeah. early yeah. on. All right. So what community did you land in and why that location? So we live out in, in the Nolansville area, um, kind of in between, you know, Brentwood and Mount Juliet. And and uh, when we moved out there, it was not the fastest growing part of uh, Williamson <laughs> County. And now it is, right. which is great for our property value and right. the price of our house. But uh, it was still a little country and uh, my wife's family was out there. And so... Uh, I, it's a really cool little area, but it, mm-hmm. it has grown up now to the point that I can't get out of the neighborhood. Yeah, because everybody wants to be in Nolansville. Yeah, they're going to have to do something with that main we, road. We got to get a, I don't know, a bypass or a right expansion bridge or yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because that's what I always think going down there. It's like because you get you you know you're not in the business over here, so you still got a little small small town. But now with all the growth, oh. now you have the second the small I think roads. It's tripled in travel. size in the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. And the number I heard recently, it's insane. And it, 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 you can get either direction, but there's still a it's good still distance. Yeah, traffic. Um, so tell me a great memory uh, that you often share about Nashville. Um, gosh, uh, you know, I, I do remember the the tornado. I was sitting at. I was actually <laughs> funny at the time. I was uh, at a club called Seven Hill Swim and Tennis Club uh, over in kind of like the Forest Hills area. And I remember the watching the tornado come into and go into downtown um that was what years ago 20 years ago or something it was yeah actually no. it was probably less than that because i th- i think it was yeah i don't remember actually i don't yeah. remember i think okay. we just had the 20 year anniversary maybe okay but um but yeah i, I remember that because people ask uh, didn't didn't a tornado hit the downtown I was like yeah i actually watched it from there um and, and hit the downtown area, but uh, that was kind of mm. kind of a weird one. Yeah. So did it happen before nine eleven? It must have, because I was that was probably in like uh, what was it nineteen ninety nine? Okay, ninety eight. I guess it was time. before we got here because uh, yeah, my wife worked with somebody that was downtown in the building. It might have been ninety eight. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So, what do you look for in a good real estate agent? Gosh, uh, well, I've. I've I've had uh, a good one uh, help me out and just somebody who's honest and uh, down to earth and um, listens. I go back to listening a lot uh, these days. You know, um, th- does the person at the mall listen when I'm asking for directions or, you know, does the real estate agent listen when I'm trying to tell them what, uh, what we need? So Yeah, I like that. Good advice. So, uh, what advice would you give to someone looking to move to Nashville? Gosh, uh, don't move here because we're so crowded. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we really are crowded, but people come here beca- because of the people. Um, is what I hear a lot, and it's funny because I, I, you know, I'm traveling a lot, and and every Southwest plane is full coming and going from Nashville, and they're all so excited to be here. But, but. Uh, you know, we've got we've got great areas all over town. It doesn't have to be just Williamson County. It doesn't have to necessarily be Mount Juliet. There's there's great areas up in Hendersonville and you know White House and Ashland City. I mean, there's so much more to Nashville than just 
I guess those hot spots of right. 12 South and Williamson County and and now Mount Juliet Providence area. But but there's you know I hate to say that because then in what's going to happen to those places in five years? It's going to turn into you know the next Williamson County. Yeah. So but there's lots lots of good parts. It was funny is this past summer I actually my wife and I took a little drive. We just drove out to an area we hadn't been to in a while. We just started going out past Franklin and just kept on going. Um, and, and I think that some of us in Nashville, we, we forget that there's these other these little cool spots. I'd never been to the Jack Daniels distillery until yeah. recently. I haven't taken a tour, but I I've did been a tour, but I, but I, I never even been out there. Yeah. So drove out there recently and just seeing other parts of mm-hmm. this town that, that are not downtown. Right. Yeah. So. Well, that's what I always tell people. I love is that you have all the downtown and you have even more culture and stuff now, but then you're 20 minutes from parks and all this other stuff. And like you said, distilleries and, um, there's a lot of beautiful things. That I mean, Lewisburg and Tullahoma yeah. and these little towns along the way, Watertown, Lebanon, you mm-hmm. know, they're just kind of on the, on the outskirts that so much kind of cool old mm-hmm. stuff there. Yeah. Actually I did a field trip, um, with my son at the, uh, I'm going to forget what it was called. Um, it was off of Blackman in uh Creve Hall area. Okay. Uh, old plantation. Okay. Um, was it Overton? John Overton? Might have been, yeah. Was he a judge? Oh, I don't know about that. Trace something? Oh, the Natchez Trace? No. no. I can't think of what Trace Leche? Oh, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm getting hungry. Of, I'm, thinking, yeah, I'm getting hungry now. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, anyways, I can't remember what that is, so we'll, we'll cut that out. Um, we have craft services coming later? Yes. Okay. Yes, we have a food truck. That's food truck, pull. okay. All right, so, Bill, how can people connect with you? Well, uh, I'd love for them to, to follow uh, on Facebook at Bill Riddle Tennis, uh, on Instagram at Bill Riddle Tennis, and uh, on Twitter at B Riddle Tennis. Mm-hmm. There's and a, so you're coaching locally, still, still right? Still, still at, okay. uh, at I'm at Temple Hills Country Club. Um, I, you know, kind of will turn up different places here and there um, when I'm not on the road. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, helping some coaches and players in other parts of the the world. Yeah. So, All right. cool deal. Well, Bill, thanks again for uh, joining me in the Rambler, and look forward to uh, actually. Um, you know, digging into that a little bit more, seeing how many can be get a part you out to play yeah. in the Music City. Uh, well, I get some coaching first, and then get out there. It'd be fun. <laughs> we I got it. we got a beginner division. So okay, there you go. We'll get you on. Sounds good. All right, appreciate it, Bill. Thank you. I hope you walked away with a few nuggets that you can apply to your life as a parent, maybe with kids that are playing sports, or maybe how to get them involved in sports, and obviously tennis being a good one to look into. As you can tell, Bill has a wealth of knowledge in the tennis industry, as well as wisdom in the sports arena. Make sure to look out for the Music City Invitational in 2019. If you are in need of a tennis coach, give Bill a call. If he does not have the time to coach directly, I know he will be able to put you in contact with a great coach in your area. And as he mentioned, a coach can make a big impact in your kid's life. As far as the sponsors, if you have not picked up on it yet, I'm a realtor in the Nashville area with a focus on residential real estate and real estate investing. I'd be happy to help you with your real estate needs. You can also give Brandon Hutchison a call with the Legacy Mutual Mortgage for all of your lender needs and Limestone Title and Escrow for any title needs. 
Next week, Carmen Brandy will join me for an interview. She has a great story, and she is very transparent about an ongoing struggle with depression and how she daily wakes up and makes a decision to move forward and push through some self-doubt. She wrote and sung the song you are about to listen to, and after her story next week, you will be able to hear another song she wrote. Thanks again for tuning in to Nashville Untold. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe and feel free to share via social media, Instagram, Facebook. I'm still kind of doing some work on the, on getting all that um, going. But anyways, uh, you can find the, the post and links to it via iTunes and other podcast platforms to share. So that's always appreciated. And feel free to leave a review as well. Make sure to check out the show notes for more details on the guest and ways to connect with Bill Riddle and Carmen. And now, enjoy a song from Carmen. How I deny push it under the rug, screw a smile on it, fake it. This heart, these scars, I'd offer them up, I know no one would take them. No one would take them. I keep on trying, I keep on striving, I keep on begging for love. I think I find it, I undermine it. Before it's even begun Every time that I look back On what I did All my good enough Never is oh, oh, oh. I find that I'm always wishing Someone could make me feel Less forsaken I pray they'll stay, but I know that they'll run and wind up leaving me vacant. I keep on trying, I keep on striving, I keep on begging for love. I think I find it, I undermine it before it's even begun. Every time that I look back on what I did. Oh, my good enough and never is. I've got to let it go of what I can't control. It's what I can't control. People come and go. I'm holding on to hope. Holding on to hope. I'll keep on trying, I'll keep on striving, I won't be begging for love. And when I find it, won't undermine it, before it's even begun. One day I'll look back on all of this, and know I'm good
We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time.